Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Nate Bucati, joined as always by Ali Trost and Carter Augustine. Ali, I see you've got a you've got a nice sticker there on. Uh, yeah, you you. I do. You did I voted. Your I was, duty today. I was up and at him at like 5:45 in the morning. Voted at the World War One Memorial Museum. It was fast and easy. Kind of a cool place to vote, right? Like on election day, just really kind of get cool that patriotic, like American feel. So, so that was nice. Uh, but can honestly tell you, Nate, I know you wake up that early just about every day. I was like, oh, okay, it's only seven o'clock in the morning. What do I do now? So got some coffee, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was, it was very good and very encouraged by all the people getting out and voting. Very exciting to see. Uh, Carter, how are you? I see you have a sticker on as well. Got the sticker, went and voted. Um, definitely didn't get up at 6 a.m. Uh, but I was actually surprised. Went at 11.30 and it was, I was in and out. Um, so very, very interesting. And yeah, happy to happy to vote today. I, I didn't vote at the World War One, even though I'm pretty close to it. So that's- They, they changed my polling place about three times. So I kept getting a new little thing in the mail with where we were supposed to go. And, and then the, the last one that we got was World War One. so. Very like, I guess I'll go there. Yeah, it, yeah it was, uh, other than the, the graffiti, which was cleared off, it was, uh, it was a good experience. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a historic place and a historic election. So, um, yes. and I, I don't have a sticker because I voted two weeks ago. And, uh, but I did, I did wear my uh, trusty patriotic sleeveless uh, shirt that you and I were, uh, when we were doing all the watch parties for the U.S. Women's National Team. I was just yes. trying to think of, you know, it's, it's kind of an anxious day. I think everybody's on either side, a little on edge today, wondering how this thing's going to turn out, future of the country. And I was trying to think of something, you know, I'm rooting for America. I want America to do well. And, uh, and I'm trying to, to think of, uh, of a little bit of happier times when we could all gather together and celebrate things and the awesomeness of America like we did that summer. So I, I decided to yank this one out of the closet. And, uh, but I'm, guys, I'm in quarantine right now because I found out over the weekend I had an exposure, been dealing with a little bit of symptoms, but they're mild. Um, but trying to, you know, basically my, my family used it as an excuse to lock me in the basement for uh, the better part of a week at least. So I've been stuffed in the basement. They shoved food under the door to me. And uh, I got another follow-up test yesterday. So hopefully everything, you know, turns out good there. But everybody keep staying safe. Keep, you know, doing all your responsible stuff because – we saw it guys. This is going to be difficult. Pulling off this postseason in major league soccer is going to be difficult. I'm not saying impossible. I'm very optimistic. We've already done some really difficult things in 2020 in MLS, but we had another reminder of those challenges when sporting Kansas city was one of a couple of games that got canceled over the weekend. Um, when Minnesota United, that was sporting Kansas city's opponent was, uh, had a couple of cases of COVID. They decided to cancel the game. And when you look around the country with the numbers of cases that are rising in a lot of the markets where, you know, the MLS teams are playing, it's going to take a lot of, of diligence on everyone's part to try to pull this thing off. Um, and, and guys, I'm curious. I'll start with you, Allie. How do we think this affects sporting going into this now last weekend against Real Salt Lake? Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time with Brian Dunseth, by the way, previewing that match coming up in just a little bit. But now RSL, no, because of points per game, they have no chance of making the playoffs. Sporting have a chance of getting the number one seed in the West if they get a win and a, and a couple of results go their way 
uh, between Portland and Seattle and their two final games apiece. Uh, what, how do we think this all will affect sporting KC having another week off and then getting ready for this game at RSL? I personally, with the week off, I know we've talked to a couple of players now who have kind of said, you know, Eric Hurtado was a big fan of the, you know, game, couple days off game, couple days off. But I think that the extra week will really help them, especially considering that they just need to go in and get the three points. I mean, you, yeah, you can have a result come out of a couple of other results going certain ways, but you want to be in control of that. Just go get the win. And now they have a full week to prepare for an opponent, get fresh legs, um, and just kind of put everything into that game before looking ahead to the playoffs, hopefully uh, securing that, that number one seed. But, you know, as far as the points per game goes, it, and we'll get into more of this with, with Donny later on in the show, but you know, it's interesting because, you know, sporting have, if they had, been able to play that game against Minnesota, an opportunity to, to really solidify your, your spot in the standings, get those three points, help your points per game total, but also not playing the game also kind of helps because you never know. You could drop some points and then that affects your points per game total in a negative way. So it's kind of this, you know, it, it's not fair. Vermese wants to, you know, call to the voodoo dolls to maybe uh, help them out in a couple of cases, like he said in his presser the other week. But I just think, you know, more than ever, teams are just going to have to focus on themselves. I know it sounds cliche, but, you know, control what you can control. Sporting right now can control getting three points again against RSL, a team that's already out of the playoff picture. And, and whether that means we're going to see an RSL side that is just motivated to put it all out there in their last game, maybe not feeling as connected and, and as motivated as they would if they had much to fight for uh, as far as the playoff race is concerned. Not sure what they're going to get, but I think Sporting Kansas City will be in a good position going into this game, given that they're relatively healthy right now, they have the extra rest, and they can really just put all of their time, energy, and focus into this game before the playoffs start. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I guess from Sporting's perspective, they'll probably be hoping that this, it's good for, for their legs. Um, the points per game situation was pretty... Uh, a pretty interesting one last week. I, I will say, you know, I think it was in the rules since or they came back from Orlando, that fine print of the contingency of, hey, if, if these games, if COVID has an effect on these games, points per game will, will uh, might happen. So uh, the official announcement came last week and uh, you got to feel for Vancouver just because of all they've been through. But in the end, I think if you look at Colorado and Vancouver, Colorado looks like the better team to me. And maybe that's because they have some fresh legs now, but um, in the end, the, the goal difference is, is huge swing between the two teams. And so um, it's going to be fascinating. And for Sporting Kansas City, I guess we'll find out after Portland and Seattle play if it's good for Sport SKC or not, because um, it could be the difference between a, a one seed or a three seed. Yeah, I... I guess my two cents on it is I'm finding it hard to get too outraged by any decisions that are getting made right now. Now, maybe if I'm a, a Vancouver Whitecaps fan, I, I have a more emotional response to this, but I, like you said, I've watched a lot of Vancouver Whitecaps games this year, not a real good team as far as I'm concerned. And um, that look, they've been through a lot. Everybody in this league has been through a lot. I think you could sit there and try to rank which teams have had the most adversity which adversity is harder to deal with than others um, schedule whose schedule has been harder than others. You try to add all those things up and it almost seems like a, a fool's errand to try to sit there and handicap those things. So you got to find a way to determine this um, at the end of the day. And I guess I'm okay with it um, just because there, there seem like such bigger issues <laughs> out there 
And, and I'm just hoping that they can get through it and we can have these playoffs. And, um, and I guess maybe I am buoyed by the fact that Sporting KC have a chance at that number one seed, guys. And I think it should be an incredibly motivated Sporting KC going into this game because I think that the number one seed matters more this year than maybe ever. Number one, you know, last year, of course, it was ironic. Sporting missed out on the first year where it was straight up one game home field advantage. Um, and that's the case again this time. But Sporting KC is one of the few venues that can actually have fans. And, you know, they get to, if they can play their games at home in front of, and we've seen it, guys. Carter, you've seen it down on the field. And you've seen it. You've been in the stadium too, Allie. Those fans make a difference. Even if it's 18% capacity, I think it makes a huge difference. They should be really fired up going to Real Salt Lake this weekend. Yeah, and, and for me, look at the the turf situation. Sorry, I, I, the, the, you play at yep. Seattle, you play at Portland's. Whether it's you know in the second, you know wherever, whenever in the playoffs you face one of these two teams, um, they have turf, and that's a yep. that's a good advantage as well. Well, and, and Vermees even said in the game against Cincinnati how much of an adjustment the turf was, especially early on. And and who knows? I mean, we need to compare the turf. Elia was like, I think Sporting's got better turf in their practice fields than even Cincinnati did at <laughs> uh, Nippert Stadium. So who knows what, like, you know, we need to do apples to apples here with Portland and Seattle. But, uh, but no, I, I think the fans, you know, the element of the fans is huge, especially um, when you consider the fact that not a lot of postseason games have had any fans at all we were debating this on the final whistle show outside of of course the super bowl in the nfl season at the start of 2020 has there been a a playoff game with fans in attendance in sporting kansas city i think when you look at all of the other teams in the western conference are they might be one of the only ones at least in terms of the 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 teams that they could play one of the very few i guess is what i'm saying that could have fans in attendance and playoffs, it's just a different atmosphere, no matter, you know, what other things led up to it and how unusual this season has been. Anytime that flip is switched and it's the playoffs, it's winner go home, there's a different kind of atmosphere and the fans definitely help play into that. And so I think home field advantage, especially when you have fans in attendance, even if it's much fewer than usual, is going to definitely play to a team's advantage like sporting. Well, they're going to play an RSL team that's a bit of a wild card coming into this because they are out of the playoffs. They know that their season is over after a really tumultuous season as well. So are they going to be one of those teams that's got one foot out the door? Are they going to be one of those teams, though, that's like, man, we're going to wreck one of our rivals' last games of the year? Maybe some young feisty guys out there that want to make a name for themselves because we've seen teams like that as well. Uh, it's all up for debate, or I guess we'll just have to wait and see on Sunday, we're going to find out more about all the things that this RSL team have been through with our buddy Brian Dunsett. He's going to join us on the show next as we are underway on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back to continue the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB wherever you get your podcast, wherever you stream your video content. We enjoy, uh, we appreciate you uh, hopefully enjoying the show. And we are joined now by one of our good buddies. Uh, we always look forward to the opportunity to talk to him whenever Sporting KC get ready to face RSL. He's a broadcaster for RSL, also on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, national broadcasts, and all of those things. Uh, our buddy Dunny, Brian Dunseth joins us. Dunny, how are you, man? I'm good, I'm good. How are you guys doing? You know what? We're we're hanging in there, just you, you, keeping your fingers crossed that you're going to have a game. Uh, and 
for us um, right now, I'm in quarantine in my basement because of exposures and all that. So hoping you get, we can get through all this and uh, you know how that goes. Um, so on that end, look, we could talk about, you know, challenges for sporting, having a game here, game there canceled. I look at what you guys have been through since even the last time we talked to you when all hell was breaking loose in Salt Lake. And it seems like even more uh, drama has occurred. Have you ever, I'm almost curious, I have to assume this is the most dramatic season you've ever been a part of at Real Salt Lake. Is it more dramatic than maybe all the other seasons put together when you combine all the different things that have happened this year? Yeah, easily. I think you add, you know, the pandemic is is its own animal, obviously. Uh, the, the hell that it has played on rosters, whether you're talking about trying to bring in international players or you're just trying to get international players green cards, which then kind of has this trickle-down effect of, maybe some of the promises that you've made to players that you expected to be a part of the season. And then MLS just doesn't allow it because it's 2020. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, from the bubble to return to COVID to injuries to owners going on radio and saying things that they probably shouldn't say, looking for a pound of meat and that pound of flesh was their own uh, to now being out of the playoffs. It's, it's been a wild year. Um, from Bill Manning leaving to Garth Lagaway leaving to Jason Christ leaving to Jeff Bissar getting fired to Mike Pecky getting fired to Greg Weibel getting fired um, to players uh, retiring. Yeah, I think when you put it all together, this is this has been a tough, tough season on a team that, quite frankly, I thought this roster was a stronger roster than the one they had last season. And they ended up in third place in the Western Conference and lost to the eventual champion, Seattle Sounders. Brian, this is like The Bachelor, the most dramatic season ever yet. They say that every year, but no, really, this is like kind of the case here. I'm curious, just what you've observed or maybe conversations you've had with players, what was that impact like for them? Because you still got to go out on the field and play even when everything around you is is crumbling to the ground. Yeah, it, it's a great question because I, I think, unfortunately, this team has been through it. They, they went through it almost just over a calendar year ago with the Mike Pecky suspension uh, and penultimate firing uh, Craig Weibel getting caught or recorded by Mike Pecky and that becoming public and quote unquote talking out of school uh, about Deloitte Hanson, the owner at the time. Um, I think every player, much like, you know, we were, Nate was kind of talking about, is there a game? Is there not a game? You just try to control the controllables um, and controlling the controllables is, well, and by the way, Sam Johnson throwing house parties, hundred people showing up and then somebody getting shot out in the front yard. Um, I didn't even know Sam Johnson knew hundred people in Salt Lake. There's uh, there's just all this crazy stuff that's happening. You know, I give so much credit to the players and I know about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, there was this talk about the fans pulling the supporter shield away, which I thought was so naive and so stupid. Because I think, quite frankly, this year has been even more difficult on the players than it has, obviously, the fans. You've got fans all over the world that are tuning in and buying gear and supporting their team. And, yeah, they're not in the stadium. But these guys, from keeping their kids out of school to try to make sure that they're not exposed to the COVID testing that goes on uh, on, on an every-other-day basis, to trying to figure out the best way to stay as healthy as they possibly can in the midst of short recovery time, to completely changing the way – that they prepare for games because they're having to get on airplanes day of and the psychology behind all of that uh, to the competition, to the health and recovery. And then, Oh, by the way, and you guys know this better than anybody, the support staff, you know, from broadcast media to 
the, the support staff behind the scenes every single day, the traveling staff, the kit guys, the trainers, the coaches staff, and then everybody that works in the offices, those that are unseen behind the scenes that are, that have cultivated everything that's important to these clubs. Um, it's been tough. the players, I think, just quite frankly, want to get on the field, want to compete. Uh, and unfortunately, some are doing much, much better than others. With all that in mind, Donny, I, I mean, it, it seems like it has maybe affected the team on, on the field. Um, kind of faded, it seems, here down towards the, the back stretch. Um, what what should Sporting KC fans expect from this RSL team uh, this weekend? Was it one, I think one win in eight now, but a few. There's a handful of draws in there, and, and Sporting really needs to uh, try and get all three points here. Well, I know there's a rivalry. I know we kind of have all these Heineken rivalries that are kind of made up in regional rivalries, but I think this is one of those still organic rivalries. And it does, still doesn't have kind of the same pomp and circumstances like Benny uh, and Roger against Kyle and, you know, all of that. But it's still, I, I still think it's, you know, from RSL fans' perspective, you got Ticketgate, you've got the MLS Cup final, you've got the Aurelian Collins, should have gotten a second yellow and ultimately losing in penalties. I just think there's there's so much here. And by the way, there's such an identifiable style of play when these two teams, um, you know, meet. And it's tough tackling. It's 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 some really fun athletic players, some really intelligent players. Um, but it's it, there's a technical side to the game that's always a fun watch, especially for me as a broadcaster. What to expect? I don't know. <laughs> and I don't mean to be that guy. I really don't know. Could this be a David Ochoa debut because the season's done? Um, and for those that don't know, Sporting Kansas City fans, I honestly think this kid, David Ochoa, who was an under-20 World Cup starter for Tab Ramos, he's going to play in another under-20 World Cup. He was part of Jason Price's under-23 uh, camp before everything got shut down, the qualifications for the Olympics. And Tata Martino has been sniffing around to see if they can get him switched over to the Mexican national team kid is talent now he's got a little Dennis Rodman-esque kind of blowing kisses to the fans and kind of chopping people and talking trash uh to, to his opponents so he's 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 kind of that kid but he's extremely talented um and I've had a tough time not being able to watch like I've to understand why he hasn't played but I understand there's also kind of that professionalism like you got to beat out the guy in front of you you're not just exalted um if I break it down easily, Real Salt Lake, their two strikers between Douglas Martinez and Sam Johnson now have a total of three goals. Um, they sold Jefferson Sabarino. They brought in Jason Ramirez, the young, talented Venezuelan, and he just hasn't adapted. And it's understandable. He's, he's, he's 18 and he's away from his family, and we're in the midst of COVID. Everton Luis has been banged up and injured. Uh, Paolo Ruiz has been a revelation. Um, he had to play through the international break because you guys did with Polito. They had to do with Albert Rusnak, and he's kind of one of their most influential players. Damir Krylock's been fantastic. Michael Chang's been good. Uh, Justin Merrim's been pretty good. Corey Baird has, has been statistically a really poor year. I think it's two goals and four assists. Um, I told you, Paolo. Backline's been solid. Aaron Herrera, I think, very quietly has kind of played himself into the conversation about what the future of right back at the full national team level looks like. Um, and Putna has been a, a solid MLS goalkeeper uh, now that Nick Romano's retired. So at the end of the day, goals. And, and I think, quite frankly, for Sporting Kansas City fans, you look at RSL this year, similar to what Sporting Kansas City was dealing with last year. Mm -hmm. Another question for RSL, 
can you go out and get an Alan Pulido? Uh, can you go get a Henry Martin from Club America and the Mexican national team? Can you get that, that, can you stop, can you stop, can you stop shopping at Walmart? Not super Walmart. Can you stop shopping at Walmart for your attacking players versus going and shopping at Nordstrom's? And that's what I think Sporting Kansas City did, much like Columbus Crew did with Zeller Island. There's difference makers out there, but you got to be willing to spend three to five million just to get them in the door. And that's something that Real Salt Lake has been really hesitant over the years with their previous owner. We're visiting with Brian Dunseth. And, and of course, I, I love when you said, I don't know, because we've seen all ends of the spectrum at the end of the season when a team has quote unquote, nothing to play for. It was a disaster for sporting last year when they played their last game, but we've seen other teams that put some young guys out there. They've got nothing to lose. They're trying to earn a spot, whatever. And, uh, and, they, and they play a great game. So that, that's certainly going to be interesting to watch. I feel like because of everything you listed off, though, a lot of the attention, at least around Salt Lake, has got to be about just what the future overall of the club is. Is the team going to stay there? Is the owner, who's the owner going to be? Is how do you judge Freddie Juarez in a season like this? That seems like a, a, a very complex list of questions that got to be answered, Dunny. So, I take full credit for lighting the fire under Real Salt Lake fans last week because I just pointed out very simply that, hey, there's a Death Star about five hours south of here uh, in Las Vegas that needs more than eight dates to fill that stadium. And I think I, all I said was I think it would be naive to think that there's not interest from uh, a city like Las Vegas considering they've got NHL, they've got NFL, and, oh, by the way, professional sports is looking a lot different at gambling than it used to just a few years ago and all hell broke loose in my mention <laughs> i can't believe it. i'm like no listen i'm not saying i have insider information i'm saying i think personally that a city like las vegas after being left out of charlotte and st louis and even the sacramento conversation for one reason or another they've got a built-in stadium and they've got a great soccer fan base every time the mexican or Liga mx teams mexican national teams go to vegas stadium blows up. I don't know what the future holds. Um, my hope and my understanding is that everything, this isn't going to be bit, bit sold all over the place, that this is an umbrella. And the umbrella is Real Salt Lake, Utah Royals, that quite frankly and horrifically gets left out of this conversation more often than not, uh, and Real Monarchs. Now, the Monarchs are a different animal because we're hearing this transition of, quote unquote, MLS umbrella in USL going to reserve league. Or do they want to go to USL too? Or what does this all look like going forward? The reserve league is coming back. And quite frankly, there's a lot of money being spent to be a part of USL. Can you keep it all under the umbrella? And can you have that pathway? This organization is turnkey. You've got an incredible training facility. You have uh, multiple youth teams. I'm going on Saturday to go do a couple presentations with their academy teams. Uh, and then you kind of have the pathway to the pros. I think there's also an onus on MLS to try to figure out how you don't lose players like Richie Ledesma and Sebastian Soto because your quote unquote first team is not allowed to sign them for one reason or another. And they say, well, screw it. If there's no pathway, I'm going to Europe. Now both players are in the U.S. men's national team. Um, so it's a complicated conversation. And talking to Lola Bonto, uh, Roger Espinosa's girlfriend, she plays out here for Utah Royals. And kind of the on-running joke with us is like, all right, so do I have a team? Where do I put my stuff? Like, do I have an apartment? Because Deloitte was subsidizing apartments for NWSL. 
And that was something that no one was talking about. That that was the first time Deloitte was basically mandating, if I'm gonna be a part of the NWSL, I want these players to be able to have housing and housing taken care of because I'm doing it for my Monarchs. Why wouldn't I do it for my women's team? And that was kind of a transition period for the NWSL. Um, you, again, though, if it's not a local owner, I, I don't know what happens. I mean, you, you, Orlando City wasn't a local owner, and now they're selling, um, and what, what that all looks like going forward. So keep an eye on what's happening in Orlando. I think that has ramifications from a price point on Real Salt Lake, both turnkey organizations, Orlando a much bigger destination spot. Um, and my hope is that this doesn't just get kind of broken apart and thrown all over the place because after what happened with Anthony Precourt and Columbus and Austin, I think that's got to be a fear for everybody involved. And I don't think MLS ever wants that black eye uh, on the league again to happen the way it did in Columbus. Donnie, all of this said, I mean, it seems like everything is just totally in flux right now, but how do you see it impacting the soccer scene in Utah and in Salt Lake? Because like you mentioned, they've, they've got all three, right? You've got NWSL, MLS, USL, and if, and if one goes away or if the, the right owner isn't there, I mean, it could all just kind of blow up and, and end up completely different than what it currently is. Yeah, and, and I think there has been mistakes by the NWSL because Real Salt Lake uh, and NWSL had two television deals. We had a local over-the-air television, turn on the TV, watch the game with KMYU Channel 22. And then we also had on KSL, the other competitor, you could go on their app and watch the games. And the NWSL took those games off of the KSL app. So the Utah Royals, you couldn't watch them on television unless you were paying another uh, another over-the-air or another privatized you know, price point. Subscription it's fee. Yeah, it's a nightmare, a complete nightmare. So you lost a lot of eyeballs. Um, th there's a strong fan base of soccer here in the United States now, or excuse me, in, in Real Salt Lake. Now it's growing. There's been soccer here for a long time, but I think the education component has gone along with Real Salt Lake, the Monarchs and the Royals, but it also got that interesting byproduct of missionaries, you know, because the Mormon church sends these kids out from rural Disneyland for white people, Utah, out to all over the world. And all of a sudden they come back after two years and they're these, these incredible soccer fans because they've been exposed to it in all you know facets of the earth that they're going on these missions. Um, it would be devastating. It would really be devastating to lose this team. Now, I, don't, I honestly don't think there's a chance of that. I think it's 99.9% .9 that the team stays here. But again, uh, you... you once the billionaires start disappearing, then you start getting a little bit nervous about what the, you guys are perfect examples, local ownership, deep pockets, committed to the community, community committed to the team, putting people in place and leaving them alone to succeed. Um, and then seeing kind of the evolution of the team and the fan base and everything. Uh, I think that's what RSL fans are hoping for. They get, because there's a lot of promises with Deloitte, and don't get me wrong, Deloitte did a lot of great things in terms of the infrastructure of the sport here in Utah, but in terms of investing in the team on the field, um, he did it the best way he knows how, and that's commercial real estate, and that's apartment complexes, and that's what's my ROI, what's my return on my investment. Um, so very, very guarded with the money that he spent overall in comparison 
to a lot of these other teams around the MLS. Well, yeah, I, I think you laid it out pretty well there. And I, I agree. I think the fans in Salt Lake City have done enough to warrant um, this this team staying there. It's been a huge part of MLS. And um, hopefully, for my end, I, I, hope it, I hope it remains in Salt Lake City. Yeah, but like you said, money talks in the end. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of when when Kansas City was was selling, when, when the Hunts were selling, and there was a little bit of a question of would they stay in KC or, or would they go? And... Uh, Thankfully, obviously, the current owners took over. Um, well, Dunny, I, I kind of want to ask you about the rest of MLS at the moment as well. Switching to points per game, what, what are your thoughts on, on the official announcement there? And uh, the Western Conference especially, who do you see maybe as some of the favorites heading here into the playoffs? Um, so uh, let's start with favorites. I think Seattle, Sporting Kansas City, and Portland, not necessarily in that order, have shown to be the most uh, consistent. Uh, in the West, I think Minnesota's and is the outlier. Um, and then obviously Bob, you know, in LAFC, I think Bob and LAFC were kind of the shining light in terms of style of play consistency, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use my Stasi Schroeder quote, they've got a dark passenger and that dark passenger is that uh, they keep getting knocked out of the playoffs. And when you don't have hardware, we can all talk about how important the supporter shield is, but nobody really cares about the supporter shield outside of qualifying for CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, points per game. I've debated this a lot uh, because obviously on, on the show with Tony Mule on counterattack and then Real Salt Lake being significantly impacted by this conversation. I love Robin Frazier. I never want to see Colorado Rapids punished because of COVID. I hate kind of the public shaming that kind of comes along with positive tests um, because I, I, I just think it's like, it's like stardust. You just sprinkle it and you never know where it lands. And unfortunately, people kind of come across it through no fault of their own. Um, I never wanted to see them punished. But at the same time, I think there is a punishment that comes along with this. And the punishment that comes along with this is Colorado did not have to play through the international window. Colorado, you can make the argument fresh legs, heavy legs, form fatigue versus sharpness. That's all in there. But there's teams that lost some of their best players that had to play through the international window that I guarantee you, technical directors, general managers, coaches would say, man, I wish we didn't have to play through that international break and we didn't have to lose multiple players to quarantine on the backside. The other part of this is I don't, I understand why MLS did it. And I'm a malicious person and I'm, just to throw this out there, because my first question was, much like Bob Bradley in the substitution rule with the goalkeeper at the New York Red Bulls and Eddie Gavin and Timmy Howard years ago, there's a way around this. And the way around this is, I said with, to Tony Miola, don't be surprised if there's some positive tests where games aren't played. Now, I'm not saying that everyone out there is going to say, oh, we got tests, and I, I, I don't want to go that far. But don't think that, let's not be naive that this conversation isn't happening, of, hey, if we don't play these point, these games, we still have points per game, and we're sitting in the home field advantage, or we've made the playoffs. That conversation's happened. It has happened. So my, my and this isn't a Real Salt Lake thing, and it's not a Houston Dynamo thing. I just hate seeing Vancouver Whitecaps after everything that they've done and having to be away from their family for three separate occasions not wake up and take their kids to school, not kiss their wives or their partners. Good night.
night, every night, have to live in a hotel, same with Montreal, same with Toronto, to all of a sudden be on the outside looking in. Or, for example, last Wednesday night, after the game's over, LAFC makes the playoffs. Minnesota doesn't make the playoffs. And then Thursday morning, Minnesota makes the playoffs, and they're above LAFC because of points per game. So I was saying that there's an easy solution. The easy solution is go to 10 teams, seven plays 10, eight plays nine, mimic what's happening in the Eastern Conference. You've got a double date of knockout round games. Everybody loves knockout round games. Let's just play it that way. Instead, we went to points per game. So we just put another asterisk mark next to 2020 and what this campaign looks like um, and is what it is. Well, Dunny, from our perspective in Kansas City, you know, if Seattle and Portland end up dropping points in their midweek game, then points per game, you know, like it's you find yourself rooting in a different way right now. And I, I don't like you said, I don't think there is. 2020 is the year of bad answers. Like it's, it's, which is the least bad solution out there. Um, and, and if they got that one, right, we, we can continue to debate. You put out some really good points there. Hey, I want to ask you, go ahead. by the way, like think about you guys. I mean, you basically put a dot and said two and a half, two and a half hours, two and a half hours. I mean, the unbalanced schedule is crazy. You know, like Colorado, they're not LAFC. They don't have to go to LAFC. They don't have to go to Seattle, they're not going to Portland. I mean, so it's tough. It, like when you really look at it, how do you, like, what is balanced, unbalanced? What is fair, unfair? What is points per game points? Yeah. I, I feel bad for everybody involved having to make these decisions. I mean, it's, it reminds me of conference football where you're playing in your little region and we really have no idea how sporting stacks up against the teams on the West coast because we haven't really had a chance to see it. Yeah. And maybe that'll make it interesting in the playoffs because there, there'll be that lack of familiarity, unlike how there usually is. Before we let you go, Donny, though, I, I do want to ask you, we had news this morning that Greg Berhalter put out his his roster for the U.S. men's national team. And I almost use men's in quotes because I think the average age is about 21 years old. And obviously it's it's pretty much all European-based players, as you would expect. So you're going to play the friendlies over there. Um, any surprises to you? Any main t- takeaways? What was your reaction to the roster that you saw this morning from uh, Berhalter? I was excited. I was excited. And like, I don't want to keep going back to 2017 in October down in Trinidad Tobago. It was like, burn it all down. Everything's broken. Well, yeah. guess what? Everything isn't broken. But that, that qualifying was broken, no doubt. And, and by the way, I, don't, I think there's like three people at U.S. soccer that remain from that fateful night uh, down in Trinidad and Tobago. There's a lot of good things happening. And my, my, only, my only fear is, or, or, let me take that back, not fear. The only thing I don't like is this like new conversation that's like hedging the bets saying like, oh, it's not 2022, but man, 2026 is going to be amazing. We got to stop doing that. Yeah. We got yeah. to put pressure on 2022 because I know qualifying is going to be its own animal. But the simple fact for me, look at the names and look at the clubs associated with these players. I mean, MLS is doing a lot of great things, but these young players, there's, there's this new age group that's saying like, I want to be uncomfortable. I want a cultural experience. I want a language experience. I want to go overseas and be by myself and be uncomfortable and play. And I love that. I, I love that these kids are putting themselves over there at some really big clubs um, and, and playing games. The only one, Kajusti um, at uh, Michelin was the only one I thought was going to be called in that wasn't called in. Um, but across the board, I'm really, really excited to see some of these young players. And by the way, 
multiple dual internationals that are looking. We've always been told like, oh my God, how can we lose Jonathan Gonzalez? We're getting way more dual internationals than we're losing dual internationals. So to see all these kids over in Europe and to see some, some new names, um, I'm really, really excited to see what Greg Berhalter does with this group. Uh, because remember, he hasn't had his hands on this European group for basically 12 months. Um, so it's a great opportunity to see what he can do with them against some interesting competition. Well, Dunny, thank you so much for the time. I'm with you. I couldn't be more excited. These Champions League days like today and tomorrow uh, are great because it's like every match you watch, there's a young American out there, not just on a roster, but playing significant minutes and important roles. And that's the first time in my life uh, that's been the case. So it'll be fun. And I'll tell everybody that if you want to listen to Counterattack, um, after Wednesday's games, a lot of U.S. players hopefully be playing on Wednesday. Dunny and Tony Miola will be on uh, Counterattack on SiriusXM Satellite Radio to recap all those games as well. Hang in there, buddy, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for the time. Yeah, see you this weekend. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. All right, that's yeah. Brian Dunseth. We will take a break. Back to wrap things up right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. All right, welcome back as we wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show with uh, Carter Augustine and Ali Trost. I'm Nate Bucati. Our thanks to Brian Dunseth for joining us on the show, guys. Uh, always a lot to cover with Dunny. And that RSL situation is a tough one, isn't it? I mean, trying to – I'm trying to put myself in the, in the position of those players. You asked him about it, Ali. What do you think we're going to see from RSL in this game? when he said, I don't know, I think that's a really good answer because when there has been so many changes throughout a season, and then you also consider that this is a team that is out of the playoff picture, there isn't that much to play for, but it is a really strong rivalry. And so, it, you know, that means a lot to a lot of these players. It's not the same as maybe it was in seasons past, but it's still there. It's still very much so in the fabric of these two clubs and their makeup. Um, but, you know, I think we're going to see a competitive game. I think we're going to see a sporting Kansas City side, most importantly, that's really motivated to come out and win, regardless of what this RSL team brings to the table. Um, so I think that that, for sporting at least, is the, the biggest positive. They know what is on the line. They have a whole week to to get ready for, you know, a really important game where three points can really help them solidify that spot at the very top of the Western Conference, if that's how things end up playing out with Seattle and Portland, of course. But it's just going to be interesting. I mean, I mean, this is a uh, a really intriguing decision day for a lot of reasons with all the playoff implications and then just the current state of of the the league and the season right now with some positive COVID tests, Minnesota United, that game gets canceled. So how does that impact games just even a weekend later? Uh, so there's a lot to to you know have your eye on, but I think this will be a good a good match and you know sporting set all season long. They're not going to look past any opponent and that you know rings true even now with the playoffs so close. So a couple of games to watch on Wednesday night in this league, Portland visits, I'm sorry, Portland is at home against Colorado and LA Galaxy host Seattle. What you're hoping for if you're a Sporting KC fan here is that Seattle and Portland both drop a result out of one of their last two games. Now by drop result, I mean, just don't win. If they don't win both of their last two games, then Sporting KC with a win would punch their ticket as the number one seed in the Western conference. Now it gets a little more complicated after that. If sporting KC get a draw, they can still get some help from Seattle and Portland. 
but that's probably your best scenario. I don't think it's likely to expect Portland and Seattle to both drop two games in the last week. Stranger things, I suppose, have happened. But I do think it's within the realm of possibility that each drop points in one of those two final games. So watch those two games, Portland, Colorado, in Portland, and then Galaxy at home against Seattle. Galaxy still holding on to a, a mathematical chance of making the playoffs, but it's a slim one. Uh, Carter, I'm curious. You asked Dunny the question. How do you handicap this Western Conference? It's so hard to know who's good and who's bad uh, based on, on the lack of a, of, a, of a consistent schedule. But what do you think of the standings and who, who, do, who do you have your eyes on in the Western Conference? I agree with him that the, the top three, I feel like, have just kind of separated themselves in terms of over the season's work. Um, Portland has had some tough injuries this year. Um, you know, of course, Sporting KC, I, I do feel that a lot of national people maybe forget about Felipe Gutierrez and, and like in the back of my mind, I'm more, I'm just picturing this team with him in the midfield as well. And it's, you know, wow. What a, what a vision that is. Um, so sporting have, have dealt with their own injury issues, but Portland now Blanco is out um, the, their new striker from Poland that was doing so excellent. He's out. So they'll, they'll have some ACL wasn't it. So yeah, he's he like, it's to, not a tweak. Yeah. He's, he's done. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's done. And so that's, that's huge. Um, so honestly, and I, I know Seattle just just dropped to to Colorado, but they look very tough. So I look at those three teams, but then you have a wild card named Carlos Vela, and you you wonder if he was active throughout the whole entire season, would LAFC be where they're at, or would they be higher? And you have to imagine they'd be higher because what a player he is. So he's kind of a wild card in the playoffs, and I got to think the top three teams are kind of hoping to avoid LAFC coming to their place a little bit as well. Even though they've been really suspect at the back, just having that number 10 out there is a, is a huge difference maker. Yeah, their biggest problems have been defensively LAFC, but wouldn't it be something if after the first two years where they had these amazing regular seasons and then flamed out in the playoffs, if this year they had a disappointing regular season, then made a run in the in the in the playoffs. That that, that would be so peak all 2020. by design, all by and design. So peak twenty twenty, it's like five four games throughout the entire playoffs. I, I yeah, I could see it. Yeah, well, and and Minnesota was a team that Dunny brought up as well. We would have gotten a chance to take a look at them, but obviously that game was put on hold or or, or canceled altogether this past weekend for Sporting KC. Hey guys, I wanted to get your thoughts as well on what Dunny mentioned, this U.S. men's national team roster that got put out. Uh, how excited are you? And, and I'll start with the man I know who is the biggest U.S. men's national team fan I know. It's his number one favorite sporting entity in, across all walks. So Carter, uh, how excited are you? What are your thoughts on this roster we see from Greg Verhalter? Man, I mean, this has got to be one of the most exciting times in U.S. soccer history. And uh, 2020 has kind of made it so we haven't been able to see all these kids get together like right at the time when they're all starting to break through. Um, so this is this camp is is absolutely, absolutely so exciting. I mean, you look at like Donnie said, you look at the the names of the teams that these players play for, and that has to get you salivating as well. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing, you know, we'll see what uh, Pulisic's injury situation is, which of course, uh, just before this happened, you know, that that's just, that's life as a U.S. soccer fan. But, you, you know, you look, you look at what I think people call the big three now with Adams, um, him and McKinney, and you're, you're really hoping to see them. Then you've got Gio Reyna popping in. 
who, and he's starting to really break through. You've got Dest now who looks, you know, he's starting at Barcelona at times and, and should be their starter. Um, it's really fun. And then, you know, there's a Kansas City angle to it as well. Um, we saw this kid uh, for, for Cayenne in, in France really start to come on, Nicholas Giacchini, and he was born here in Kansas City. Um, spent a good chunk here of his childhood as well. So uh, I'm kind of, I know, you know, I don't watch the league on that much. I, I can't say that I've watched this kid play. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see a little bit of a, a Kansas City bent. I know there's this, always going to be a St. Louis bent alley with, uh, with Josh Sargent and coming up. Yeah. But, um, you know, K- Kansas City kid coming through here now too. Hey, it's great for the Midwest, Kansas City, St. Louis. I think it speaks volumes to the talent that that is, you know, locally in the middle of the country. But I mean, when you look at this roster, 14 players, 20 or under, I mean, that is or under 20. It, the new blood and just when you go back, like Dunny was talking about to the fateful night in 2017, Trinidad and Tobago, and then to think that just three years later, there would be this much excitement. I think he's totally right to say, why wait to 2026 to put the pressure on? Like, let's start putting the pressure on now. I, I think that it is very possible that this team isn't just going to find success, but, you know, has the potential to win. So I, I think that that's a very fair argument. I know that maybe it comes from a place of, Carter, maybe you can speak to this, diehard U.S. soccer fans maybe wanting to be guarded with their hearts and, and not put that pressure on just to not be brokenhearted uh, if it doesn't, you know, go the way that people are starting to think it might. But this, this team has a ton of talent, and I think it's going to be so, so exciting to see all these players together because they've been really fun to watch with their respective teams. I'm, I'm with you. Don't ride them out because we just saw France win the World Cup with some really young players. Yes. That glory. And so, you know, on the day, um, w- when it comes to World Cup action, you get out of the group stage, and it's knockout soccer, and anything can happen. And now it looks like we, we have – playmakers and difference makers all over the field at times and so you know if 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 we can get this ball rolling get these guys together and and, and get some co- cohesiveness in the team um i agree don't don't count qatar out let's go there uh well let's get there one <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah very important <laughs> um i mean missing out on russia was just a heartbreaker and so let's get there and once we're there, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I don't hold them out. And the other thing, Nate, that excites me is that we, it, it seems like in the past, maybe we'd have one or two kids coming up that we'd get really excited about. And then there's so much pressure on the one or the two per guy that's, that's supposed to be the next guy. Um, now it's kind of, we've got so many that if one or two guys doesn't live up to his potential, uh, you feel like there's another two or three behind him that, that will. Well, you'd have to imagine, too, that that breeds some healthy competition, right? You know, everyone wants to to be the best and play at a high level. But when you're one of a, a few names, I think it breeds healthy competition. And I also loved what Dunny said about these players going and playing overseas and making themselves uncomfortable. This team's been missing some of that grit, some of that experience and, you know, just things that will set them apart. And I think that this experience that a lot of them are getting right now, not just playing on some of the best teams in the world, you know, just to say that they're on the roster, but actually contributing on the field is really just going to help elevate this U.S. soccer side. I'm not as obsessed with dual uh, nationals as some people are. Um, I think sometimes people think that's like a magic pill that's going to get you a a player that we otherwise couldn't have developed in the United States. Uh, So that doesn't matter to me as much, except for the fact that some of the kids that are choosing to consider the United States now are doing so because, in my opinion, that it's all of a sudden attractive 
to be a part of the U.S. national team with all these young players that are from the United States that are playing big minutes in Champions League soccer in Europe. And Carter took my point about France, which is a, I think is a great point. Soccer is a sport where young players can contribute and can win things in big moments. This is not the type of sport where you got to be 29 years old to deliver. That France team's a great example. Another team that I'm thinking about a little bit right now is the Belgium team that beat the United States in the World Cup back in Brazil. I remember having a conversation with our buddy, Seren Petro, who at that time was starting to really try to, to get his arms around soccer and, and, and grow as a fan of it. And he watched that game and he said, I came away from that thinking we're a good 30 years away from being a legit contender in, in soccer. That's how far ahead that Belgium team looked to me. And I said, I could totally understand the way you feel. They've just peppered Tim Howard in that game, as we remember. But I believe that Belgium had missed out on the World Cup right before that one. If it wasn't that World Cup, it was two cycles before. And my point to him on that was how quickly uh, an influx of young talent can burst onto the scene. How many people, when Trinidad and Tobago happened, had any idea who Tyler Adams or Gio Reyna or even Gianluca Busio was, for that example? And my point to that is, as much as we're talking about all these young guys, rightfully so now, by next year, I believe there's going to be even more American players who are going to be starting in Champions League games. Elie told me this personally from talking to a bunch of people at Barcelona, that these kids have kicked down the door to the big clubs in Europe. There is no longer the stigma that these American kids don't have what it takes to play at the biggest clubs. They're interested now, and they actually see it as a marketing opportunity to bring them in. I think the floodgates are going to open. Not all of them are going to pan out. Some of the kids aren't going to be up for it. Um, but to me, that is when you're Tyler Adams, you're scoring a goal in the semifinal to get to the semifinals of the Champions League. The stage isn't too big for you. And I think that's the difference between the players we used to get excited about in the past that were playing on the Bayern Munich U23s. These kids are getting it done in the biggest stages right now. Still got a lot to prove, but certainly a lot of reasons for excitement. Guys, I'll wrap it up by letting everybody know again, this is what you have to look forward to. Again, the big games tonight or uh, Wednesday night between uh, Seattle, uh, Seattle taking on LA Galaxy and Portland taking on the Colorado Rapids. Then on Sunday, Final game of the year for Sporting KC. It's decision day, 5.30 kicks across the board in the Western Conference. And Sporting will be playing at Real Salt Lake. You can watch the game on Fox Sports Kansas City. You can listen to the game on ESPN Kansas City 94.5 FM. And could be for first place in the West, so it will be a big one. For Allie and for Carter and for Brian Dunsith for joining us on the show today, this is Napier Katie saying thanks for watching. And, uh, and listening, and we'll see you next time, hopefully talking, well, we will be talking playoffs next week on the Sporting Kansas City Show.